do you approach the world as if it's happening to you or it's happening for you? And if you understand that it's happening for you, then what do your options become? Then what are your opportunities? Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, I am thrilled that we have Kara back for part two on this round of the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And there were a ton of takeaways centered around our conversation last week. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I do encourage you to go back, take a little bit. There's, it's a rich conversation. But some of the takeaways were the power of letting go of the dimension of time, the power of storytelling, the power of holding space for your and other people's calling, and that routine tasks can be turned into spiritual practices and so much more. One thing I've learned about Kara Miller, beyond the fact that she is an incredibly talented and accomplished human being, is that she doesn't choose when and where to make inquiry about her impact. She's awake to her purpose every single day. And using her coaching skills to help others make better sense of the world, become more useful, and be of greater service. And when Kara is working with other businesses, sometimes she's the only person who is in the moment and aware of the ultimate benefactors of that work. Whether you are at an investment firm or in food service, there is definitely someone being directly impacted by what you do. The simple fact is that you're using your gift has an impact on others, no matter what your gift is. And being aware of the multiple impacts of your gift can provide you with a great sense of fulfillment and gratitude regardless of your role. Now, too often, we get stuck in the middle, stuck in the minute-by-minute stuff that we're doing, and we forget the people who are being impacted by our work and who are impacting us. So if you ever find yourself getting stuck there, take a moment to pause and recalibrate. Kara suggests holding on to three things to help us do it. First, the me. Can you stay in your physical body? Can you take a look at your senses, your judgments, your conclusions, your thinking? The second part, the we. What is going on in the space between you and everyone else? What is happening? What is the dynamic? Can you empathize with the shared experience? Number three, the the. Can you connect and check in with where the spirit is present now? What is the spirit up to? What is the spirit moving? How is the spirit moving? Where is the source? How is it moving here? And how can we join that? What is God up to in this? Such a powerful takeaway. Kara shares another important mantra and exercise during this conversation that's useful for when you need a reminder that your circumstances do not define you. It all starts with asking a simple question. Are you approaching the world as if 
it's happening to you or it's happening for you. It can be lonely and crippling to think that the world is just happening to you, falling on you, defining you, and limiting you. That line of thinking can also cause you to lose all responsibility and agency toward your own actions. If you instead can see that everything is happening, is creating opportunities for you to become an actor, an influencer, and an impacting force in the world, your, your perspective changes and all responsibility comes back to you. You have agency and choice in every move you make. And you have to actively construct the way you move in the world. So as you can tell by the enthusiasm in my voice, this is a great episode, a conclusion to the, to the first round last week. So as usual, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. So I'm writing my, my first book right now, and I have a character in there. It's a parable who's based on a real person. She's a Juilliard trained violinist, a remarkable human being. And the character in the book is loosely based on her only in that the character is a Juilliard trained violinist. But we talk about gifts in her chapter. And I write this section that where, where this violinist realized that her gift is not playing the violin. Her gift is healing and connecting and bringing people together and she does that, her, the expression of that gift is through the violin. But, and the reason that's important for her in this, and, and for all of us is because if you take away the violin, you don't take away her gift. But if somebody believes that their gift is playing the violin and you take that away, then what are they left with? Yeah. You know? And I've had to do that in my own personal searching, you know, yeah. my own journey of discovery of what my gifts and abilities are. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, a question comes to mind, and that is, how layered do you understand your gift to be? Do you understand the impact, the multiple impact of you using your gift? Um, beginning with the fact that you're using your gift as an impact on others, no matter what your gift is whether I'm a professor or whether you're an actor or whether Caroline is a swimmer, are you aware that you living into that gift has an impact on other people being ready and willing and to do the work of using their gift? Okay, that's one layer that most people are not sort of holding onto or aware of. Mm -hmm. And then can you sort of like kaleidoscope from there, right? That every time you turn your efforts at using your gift, every time you, you know, look at your opportunities to use your gift or talk about using your gift, like, can you see the different layers of impact of that? And you can't hold all of them at once, right? but there are several that are probably more meaningful to each one of us. And I can hold those. Um, I know that when I grow my business, when I stay true to who I am, when, while building that business and create a legacy of work and clients that my daughters will observe dimly now, but more clearly later in their lives, that I have an opportunity to impact them with those choices and with those achievements, with my you know, investment in that. That purpose, that layer of impact 
I'm awake to every day. You get to be you know? there, Amy Grant. <laughs> Not on my guitar, but <laughs> <laughs> in some other stage, right? Yeah. If developmental psychology, if thinking about how we make sense of the world and we can make better sense of the world to become more useful and more of service in a meaningful way to the world is my state. And if coaching for complexity and sophistication of sense making is my guitar that I play to serve that purpose, then yes, mm. then mm. then I would desire to do that. Um, if it's being a white ninja inside of an organization that has never permitted itself to reflect or you know investigate or inquire into what they're actually doing or what their impact actually is on the world apart from their bottom line, then that's my you know, opportunity to be Amy Grant, to have wear, play that white guitar, right? Mm. And so th- those require different things, but they're both happening in one day. I am the woman who's going, thinking about the impact that I have on my daughters that day when I show up as a consultant who communicating to them about their culture and about their performance reviews and about how they promote people, you know, and what impact that has and how they can grow their sense of that impact, right? And oftentimes I'm the only one in that organization who has a in the moment awareness of the ultimate benefactor of the business, right? So I work in a, a reinsurance firm. I work, you know, company wide in a reinsurance firm that has several offices all over the world. And in a meeting once, I said, you know, time out. Why is this meaningful to us? This work that we're hashing over, that we're hounding each other for, that we are struggling with. Do we realize that it, it, it yes, it benefits investors, but it also benefits the ultimate, you know, teachers pension funds who like, are invested here in order to create insurance against, you know, different sorts of events. But these are teachers who are going to retire and we're growing their pension so that we say thank you to them financially and provide for them for the years of service that they had with students. Everybody in the room just sort of looked at me like completely cross-eyed. Like I could have been wearing a ninja outfit at that moment, <laughs> right? But that's a total direct relation for you or I. Like, well, they're doing that work. And it benefits these people. Right. Um, they are. They do not show up every day. They don't drive into that parking garage, go try to make deals, you know, risk and capital, et cetera, et cetera. Thinking about those teachers who have served students over time that may have been one of their teachers that may teach their children. Right. Our impact is so multi-layered that how mm. you know how much mm. of it we want to hold or how much of it is useful for us to hold on a daily basis. That's a big a big opportunity for reflection and meaning creation. So, so what, like, let's like riff on that for a minute, because what would okay. you, what would you Ooh, have? You caught me on a rant. That I love it. I love it that though, was, because I think that, like that we, sermon. we get stuck in the middle. <laughs> we get stuck yes. in the stuff, yes. right? Even you yes. probably like you got totally. stuff, right? That, yep. that needs to be done, but you Everybody forget about done. you and you forget about them. Right. Yes. Yes. And, I do. and so what is the practice to just pause and recalibrate. How do you do that? There are so many, and I am a connoisseur and a consumer voraciously of everyone's ideas about this. The most fundamental one for me that is like a breath prayer or a mantra for me is 
to hold on to three things in the here and now. And the closer I can do this to the moment, the more effective that it is. Mm. When I first started doing it, I could do it only in reflection to pass time. Like, okay, I can see what was going on. Then that loop got shorter and shorter and shorter. Now I'm really trying to practice this moment to moment. And that's mm-hmm. my that's my pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the three things are the me, the we, and the the. Okay. And this is a sort of first, second, third person awareness of what's going on. What's going on in me in this present moment? Um, can I scan my physical body? Can I take a look at and check in with my sense making, my judgments, my assumptions, my conclusion building, my sense making, my thinking? That's the me. The we, what is going on in the space between you and I in this group, you know, whoever's gathered, what's happening with us? And that's not necessarily a like obsession with the other, like, what are you feeling? What are you doing? A paranoia. This is a staying in touch with what is, what's present in the here and now. What are the dynamics in this group? What's going on between us? And this often gets translated as empathy, Mm. right? The ability to check in with and connect to the experience that's happening between the other and me, because really there is no other, right? Like our connectedness is the thing. So checking in with me, checking in with the we, and just for the sake of rhyming, I'll use the old English of the, and that is connecting and checking in with in the moment, having a present moment awareness of where is the spirit present here? What is the spirit up to? Where is the spirit moving? And whether, you know, dep- you know, depends on your tradition, but like, where is source? You know, where is spirit? Where is God? you know, moving here and how do we join that? Because that's the inertia we want to be a part of, right? That's the inertia, the the deep love that drove creation into inertia, right? And it's going to carry it all the way through. Um, How do we find that in the moment right here and and seek to join with that, to join Mm -hmm. our will with the will of that? Um, And so for me, I am trying, you know, with everything in me to hold tight to what's going on in me right now, what's going on with us right now, and what's going on with the spirit right now, so that I might join more fully with all of those layers. Oftentimes, I get to be in a place where I can draw attention to where the spirit is moving, where growth is occurring, and that's my deepest privilege in a coaching session, in a classroom, in an organizational training on communication, regardless, that's the most meaningful place for me. You know what? I have a good question, actually, for that, that I like to think about, and I should have included it. And I want to give credit to my dad, who is uh, another one of my heroes, you know, a different type of hero than Amy Grant, but he is one of my heroes. And, and it's because he his whole life is committed to the question of, I wonder what God is up to in this. And to be non-critical with that question, not like, what the heck is God up to in this? Like, assuming that like what the heck somehow, is God thinking? yeah, what are you <laughs> thinking, God? Right. <laughs> but that to truly come into an inquiring stance where we 
vulnerably and honestly and faithfully say, I know that you are at work. I know that you are bringing all of these things forward, that you're telling a story and that I am part of it. I already believe that. But, but where are we in the story? Yeah, yeah. And where am I in the story? And what are you up to? So that I might respond. Have you read Visioneering? No. By Andy Stanley? Yes, might- I know Andy Stanley, but I have not read a vis- you, Visioneering. You- Visioneering, like engineering, but vision. Yes, he, wrote, yes, he, he originally great. wrote that book, I think, in like 1997 or 99 or whatever. Mm. But you, I do know him. You will, yes. you will cool. love that book. I mean, this is a deep conversation about yes. discernment. So many people have written about it well. Yeah. I've written about discernment well. You know, I'm trained as a spiritual director and I depend on my spiritual director. And, you know, there's a lot of Ignatian spirituality oh, yeah, that's for sure. like one of my favorite traditions to do this in and some really deep good friendships in the, uh, with yeah. folks who are consolation um, versus desolation yes yeah. yes yeah so i mean just for fun that's we can offer that one i mean have yeah. you talked about that on the podcast before? no no it's an incredible way yeah. to find yourself in these moments and that yes. is you know there so the traditional way of understanding it is in the morning you would say you know what is going to console my soul Mm-hmm. How am I going to experience nearness to God, nearness to spirit, and 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 what threatens to sort of desolate my soul <laughs> or give me the experience of being far from spirit, far yeah. from God, God's presence, to be aware of that in the morning, and then at the end of the day, to review the day, to reflect on the day and say, where, where did I feel the spirit consoling my soul, and where did I experience desolation from spirit and using those as the bookends to your day. And they do that as a daily rhythm. But I would argue as with three layers of checking in or discernment that I've offered you before, you know, that's the way to do, you can do that moment to moment too, is am I being drawn, you know, in nearness to the spirit or am I being desolated in a way where I'm, I'm, I'm isolated from the spirit. I'm away from that consolation. And how can I, you know, move and make decisions and encourage others to come to more experiences of consolation? How can I be the provider of experiences of, of the Spirit's consolation to others um, and not a, a disruptor in the sense that, that someone would experience desolation because of the words that I used or because of the way that I handled myself? Or, or that's a very powerful framework. I mean, yeah. I, about really how to is. treat the earth, about how to treat your family and the people, loved ones in your life, about how to treat clients, how to, you know, those things, there's application everywhere. How to, how to treat your buddy. Mm-hmm. Do you journal that stuff? You know what? I don't. I am not a journaler. And that is the most unpopular thing about me. People ask me that all the time about journaling. And I am not a journaler. I am a drawer. Yeah. And... I've noticed. I love the I love the drawings. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's that's becoming part of my brand is that I do a lot of reflection in drawing and being doing that reflection and that drawing on a whiteboard is really nice because it has an impermanent <laughs> built into it. Um, and a changeability and an inquiring to it. But what I don't get is, you know, a catalog over time or a history of that work 
Um, mm. Instagram helps with that, right? Because I yeah. can go back and look at so what was I thinking? What was on my whiteboard? What was I workshopping? But I do not, I do not yeah. write. Caro does a really, and I've I've messaged her this a couple different times. She does a really good job using Instagram to kind of like as a journal, so to speak. You know, like yeah. in terms of she and she's very much an in the moment person. Yeah, like really being and and it's something I've you know am trying to figure out how to make my own. You know, like because I'm not a journaler yeah. either. I'm not like. I mean, I. Oh, I, thank God. Okay, I, we can be best friends. Yeah, fine. I mean, I want to be. <laughs> I want to be because everybody says I should, you know. But I'm just not. I'm a talker. I'd rather go talk. I'd rather, you know, I. You're doing I a good job that. of recording your thoughts in talk, though. This is yeah. a great way of doing that. Yeah, this that's a- one of the reasons I started this was was to, was to do that to have these conversations. I'm. I could, there's zero possibility of me ever journaling right now because I'm in the thick of like writing actual like um, 21,000 words in, you know? Oh my um, gosh. And so I have like nothing left from a writing point of view. So, like, you know, in, in <laughs> yeah. a way, in a way, it's ju- the process of writing has been journaling because I'm yeah. making my thoughts and turning Well, them and forward. okay. So I would say I can answer that I am a writer, I do like to write. Um, anybody who would commit to writing a dissertation for a doctoral degree, you know, has to love writing or else you just won't survive. And so, yes, I survived that writing project and I have a, a body of, of writing work that I love and I, I love to support other writers. So I've edited you know, the process of book creation for others. And that's been a real privilege of mine. And, you know, I've struggled with you know, am I good at that? How am I helping in that regard? And what that's brought me to, along with you know, other people calling me, you know, calling more forth from me, is is aspiring to be a book author and trying to understand how that might support my work and uh, and offer you know people an exposure to my perspective if it's unique and uh, an exposure to some of the things I've learned or those practices that I've developed and um and so you know i've i'm i'm a couple steps behind you but but aspiring to write more and make that more accessible most of my articles are in academic journals so you know unless you have an institutional login you can't get a hold of those (laughs) which is like ridiculous right Um, so you know what i have as a body of work that's available and open to people is limited it's limited to you know being a guest on podcasts which you know, which I have had the opportunity to do several times and has been really positive for me and for helping me to communicate my perspective or my thinking or my learning to connect with people I wouldn't have connected with or listeners, you know, and I'm looking for more opportunities to do that because when I listen to myself on a podcast, I learn about what I need to write. Mm. I learn about what I need to speak about mm-hmm. and it's helpful for me. So um, so yeah, so the you know the only way to experience me until I actually put the you know put the time in to create the book you know is listening to me on podcasts or live or becoming a coaching client of mine or or um, following you on Instagram or following you on Instagram. Yes, I'm I'm trying to do a better job of that of sharing At developmental work. coach. By the way, plug it. Yeah. Um, that you know, that's been a practice for me to crystallize my thinking. To communicate my thinking, and um, and it's been a gift for me to see mm. how people interact with that thinking. 
um, how they push it, how they disagree with it, um, how it, how they create meaning from it, and if it's useful. And we're back to that question: Is this useful to you? Because I don't want to be, you know, over here in Southern California, you know, spinning wheels mm-hmm. if it's not useful, if it's not a contribution. Let my art, let my gift, let my, you know, thinking be of benefit. People are helpful in doing that. So, mm. yeah. So, if you follow me on Instagram, goodness, you know, send me the podcast you think are would ask me questions I need to be answering. You know, send me the request for the articles that need to be written. And, you know, oftentimes people will send me requests for books. And I actually love that. I've discovered that's kind of a, a little superpower that I have. Is they send me like three words what they want to learn more about or read about. And I shoot back a book title that's been impactful for me. The first time I did that, I was so surprised how many people said, yeah, I want on you know, entrepreneurship, on bravery, on compassion for others, on you know, whatever. And I can pull that up pretty quickly. So hmm. anyway, so that's open invitation. If you want to send me, send me three words, I'll send you a book recommendation. I love to read. I'm really good at reading. My reading volume over the last two years and starting this podcast has gone like through the roof. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Which has yes. been great. It's been great. Yes. What is the best book you've read on owning one's narrative? Like on taking ownership over one's story. The best book on coming to the awareness that you are the narrator of your story, that you are making of your story in the moment. That's an awareness not many people are operating with, right? It feels like the world happens to me, not that I see the world through me and that I'm making sense of the world through me. The best book for that level of awareness, it's a little bit academic-y, but bear with me, written by Robert Keegan, and it's called In Over Our Heads. Hmm. And basically, it's a a longer book. You got to take it down. But so is this realization that you are constructing your version of your experience at every moment. Listen to yourself. It's like that movie with um, Will Ferrell and Emma Thompson. I can't remember the name of it, but he goes around the world and sees the voice of a narrator in his head telling the story of everything he's doing. And it drives him mad. It drives him mad, right? But Yes, the whole movie switches between scenes. It's Will Ferrell living his life day-to-day, shaving, getting up in the morning, going to work, doing his thing. And she is in the other frame, typing away like she's telling a novel, like she's telling a story. (laughs) But he can hear the voice and makes him crazy. Like, Harry got up that morning disheveled and discouraged. He's like, what? I'm not discouraged. I'm not discouraged. Wait a minute. You know, like he can't sort of influence it. But it brings you to this question. Who is narrating? Who's making sense of things? Oh, what's the, trans- yeah. what's the yeah. script that's like running up here? Um, once we discover that we are the constructors of that, we are the script writers, we're the screenplay writers, and every moment we're saying they did this because of that. I'm doing this because of that. This happened connected to this thing, technically, right? That we are the sense makers. That's a huge realization. It makes you take ownership of all the ways that you interpret the world all the assumptions that you make about people and brings you into it, like brings you a quick mirror for that. 
This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I'll share with you a little a little secret uh, okay. that the the title of my book that's coming out it'll yeah. be I'm self-publishing it's called The Four Keys a modern tale in the journey to unlock potential Okay it's a it's a parable and the first key is own your story Okay and uh like that my thinking is like a lot of that is uh, it's told in the story because that I didn't had thought about it like you are the narrator, but yes. you know ultimately we are the owner for sure. Mm-hmm. No, hundred yeah. percent. One of the things that I you, you just reminded me of is that a lot of people end up allowing their circumstances to define their character, right? Yep. Yep. And and that's an incredibly dangerous thing. Both both when bad stuff happens, but also when good stuff happens, right? If yep. you let the good or the bad define Indeed. your character. So what's a good way to, and when we're you know, walking this integrated path of doing and becoming to make sure that we're not letting those yes. circumstances define who we are? A quick mantra that I encourage my clients to use, my students to use, and that I use every day, it's actually literally on my whiteboard right now because I had a team in here yesterday and we were talking about it is do you approach the world as if it's happening to you or it's happening for you? And if you understand that it's happening for you, then what do your options become? Then what are your opportunities? You can use every scenario for this. And you know, from a faith standpoint, believing that everything is happening for some purpose, you know, standing on that ground, you you really start to think this way, right? That the world, I'm not just the subject of the world and the experience falls on me, right? And then it defines me and then it limits me and I lose all responsibility and agency for my actions. Right? That's the, the scenario you were just describing. Um, if I can move the vision of things are happening around me, creating opportunities for me to become an actor, influencer, impact force in the world. Your perspective changes. All responsibility comes back to you. You are implicated in every move you make, and it requires you to actually construct the way that you move in the world. That's a very different frame of mind or mindset you will have about what happens to you or what's happening for you, the opportunities that the world is presenting you with. And then we go, like double click on that, boom, pop out all the layers. Is this softening me? Is this opening me? Is this, you know, what is it doing for me, to me, you know, all that good stuff um, in light of 
that belief. So yes. the big jump for most people and what we understand about developmental psychology and the evolution of consciousness right now, the timeline of history is most people in our population are at the status of, I'm making sense of my world. I'm doing it as if I'm the subject of something that's happening to me, something being narrated. Yeah, we're in a simulator. Yep, I'm in a screenplay and it's already being described, right? And so, you know, what are the practices, pieces of learning and voices that we need to be louder in order for consciousness overall, writ, writ large, to move and mature towards an understanding of I am the constructor of my meaning making, of my sense making. I'm an agent in that. I'm implicated in responsibility for that. And I also get to participate in the enjoyment and the outcomes and the fuller experience of that life because I'm involved in it, because I'm implicated in it. Mm. Speaking of practices and agency, you have your own business as, as yes, this coach. I do. I do. And you not only are teaching all of these things to your clients and to the corporations that hire you and the students that sit across from you, mm-hmm. but you are also putting them into practice yourself in the day-to-day grind of running a business. And so what do you do <laughs> besides go home and pour yourself, uh, make yourself an old-fashioned? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do to protect the inspiration behind what and why you do what you do from the practical demands of being an entrepreneur? I have a couple answers. One is, does the place where I do my work reflect the opportunity for me to be in front of those things all the time? More and more, I am realizing and claiming that the place where I am the space that I curate offers me a unique opportunity to remember those things, to stay close to inspiration. And so, you know, I'm trying to do a good job of reflecting the space that I'm building right now, which, you know, in the scheme of things is small, but it feels big to me because it's very full of potential, keeping me close to my inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's a place that I've built, that, um, that I am the owner of, and that is a reflection of the work I believe is the deep work, the most meaningful work that I can do and that I can offer to others to do in this space, that I can be a companion to in a space that can be a container for this kind of difficult, deep work. So place would be my first answer. Mm. And I'm not trying to alliterate, but people would be my next answer. Who are the people who understand my inspiration, who have either participated in me coming to an understanding of my inspiration, have been an inspiration to me, or can hold on to that inspiration when I start to feel distanced from it. I'm really passionate about the relationships that I'm in. They're very purposefully constructed. I, I love the what I call the second person space, or Dave Matthews Band would call the space between. And the practices and relational, you know, awarenesses that we can build, you know, between us, the relationships that like, just like the spaces, the relationships that I've curated in such a way that inspiration you know, is, is safe there, is, is at home there. Those are also the relationships that can push me to the, to the edges of that. 
and um, where I'm safe to walk the edges of my own inspiration and where that's going, where that's mm-hmm. leading me. It helps me to manage the fear of that, the complexity or ambiguity of that, the loss, or you know, we talked about loss and gain. You know, there's there are losses and gains with each of those moves. So the place that I create and am in, the, the people, the relationships that um, I co-create and am in are critical. And then I think what's most difficult to put my finger on would be how I stay close to purpose. And and the best way that I can do that, you know, today is to say, you know, what have I been given breath to do? And for me that, you know, that cuts really fast to a nerve. It cuts way past business because way past my role as professor or partner or mom or wife or daughter and really brings me to ground. And when I when I experience that, it literally brings to the ground, you know, to get on the ground, to get in the ocean, to find the place where I am most closely connected to spirit or original breath for me. Is huge, and so if you wanted to give that a key, it would be practices. Um, the practices that put me on the ground, that put me in the ocean, that close my eyes, that bring me to my breath. If I'm staying in those things, which I'm the only one that can really check in on that, like, am I doing that? Am I in practice of that awareness? If I, if my check in about that is good and honest, clean and earnest, then I'm close to inspiration, and I'm doing, you know what I want to be doing. I'm living the way I want to be living. And I am, that's my, for those three things set me up for the becoming that I don't want to get in front of, that I don't want to be an obstacle to. I want to be unleashed. I want to become, um, I want my doing to serve that. Mm -hmm. My doing to serve that. Um, So there you go. Place, oh, people, yeah. and practices. I think yeah. we just wrote a, an Instagram post. Yes, you did. Yes, <laughs> I just wrote my own. You, you got to. You got to. You got to <laughs> come up with a drawing. Yes. Okay. When you when you find yourself at conflict, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the word fear, so when you find yeah. yourself at conflict, what is it that you end up determining you're most afraid of? This is good. If you knew my Enneagram number, you would already know the answer to this question. <laughs> but I'm wondering what my best version of that is right now. Insignificance. That being uninteresting mm-hmm. or unoriginal or not contributing would make me insignificant. Now, my love and worthiness, as much as I would not like that to be, you know, I'd like mm-hmm. that to just be a fundamental reality for me is that my love and worthiness is set for me, right? That it was first determined before I could ever become anything. But that's usually the thing that really deeply is at stake. If I, I really dig into that fear, it's being boring or insignificant or um, uninteresting or something like that. Yeah. Um, Are you a three or an eight? I am a seven. You're a seven. Okay. I am a seven. Yeah. And um, I am always looking for the next interesting thing i'm looking to bring up the next interesting thing i live in the world of ideas and i often lose a connection with ordinariness 
um, because I have a fundamental judgment of it that mm. it is boring and that it's not significant yeah. and that it's not a contribution. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a confused Enneagram taker because I've taken the test you? on three different mediums and I've come out a three, I've come out a seven once and I've come out an eight. So I've. So can I give you my controversial view on that? I teach the Enneagram. Okay. And I don't think anybody should take the test. I think you should read. I think you should discern. I think okay. you should pray and tell yourself stories about what you read about the Enneagram and the insight that it has. I think mm. starting from the fear place is the perfect place to start. If you are afraid of being alone, if you are afraid of not being seen, if you are afraid of not being in control, if you are afraid of not being safe, if you are afraid of not doing it right, if you are afraid of not being a help, if you are afraid of being violated or encroached upon, right? These things, those are deep, deep motivations that drive all of our decision-making behavior. Regardless of how complex our decision-making is, it's colored by the deep fear. And becoming more balanced about that is the way to really extract the helpfulness or the usefulness of the Enneagram. I think one of my deepest fears is, is probably not being seen. I think that's why I had such a difficult time not being Moving on stage. stage, maybe not being heard. I definitely want to have my whole... My, my, I wake up every morning and my number one driver is to have a significantly positive impact in the lives of others. Do you feel afraid of not being understood? Yeah, I do. And and so okay. and so one That's of the really connected. That's really connected. Yeah. To that. Not being the fear of not being understood and the fear of not being seen or not or being alone or somehow, you know, orphaned or something in your thinking or in your being. Um, so those I, I have, are really connected. Yeah. And because I do have that like a fear of not being understood. A lot of times I am not good at trying to seek to understand first, right? Yeah. And another thing that I do, this is like confession time with Mike. I'm a humble bragger. So I'll say things okay. like, man, that was so hard. But we did, you know, I, after like a really hard workout, you know, yeah. like I'll like stand up and I'll be like, that was so hard, you know? And what are you accomplishing, do you think, when you say that to, your, to yourself or others? Like What's I'm, the hidden so motive the, in there? The thing is, like, I finished <laughs> it, right? Like, I did it, you know, or... But what would happen if you actually just said that? Is sort of my question. I think probably people would be like, yeah, high five, you know? But I don't even know if it's necessary to say it at all. Like, whenever I hear myself humble bragging... Especially like, so I, I do CrossFit and after I'm, I'm with a group of people who we just suffered together, there's nothing that needs to be said. You know, I don't need to say anything. You know, I am smart. Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Ideal Team Player. Yeah. And the, the ideal team player has three characteristics. He, he or she is hungry, humble, and smart. I am, I score pretty high on the hunger, pretty high on the smart, but I'm, I can be a lot more humble. Okay. And part of it, though, I think is what you just said. It's because I want to be significant. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be understood. And when I feel that that is 
being threatened, I, I, my brain reacts accordingly without like, I'm getting better because I, now I understand more about the whole, the space between the stimulus and the response, right? Like yes. Pausing. Right. But, but it still is something that I struggle with because I, I crave deep, meaningful relationships. And, okay. and when I don't feel that happening, I feel like I have to like force it to happen. If that okay. makes sense. You know? Yes. Um, and uh, that's my one of my core fears is is being being misunderstood, being alone, not having mattered. Okay. One of the reasons why I loved acting is because I could feel the the story, how we were guiding the audience, right? Yes. I could feel it happening. I could, and I know I can feel it in in, in podcasting too, because in a way it's performing and I could feel it in the writing, you know, like taking people on this journey. And I don't feel that all the time in my practice as an advisor, right? It's funny, you mentioned you had this meeting with a group, uh, this reinsurance company, and you asked them that very poignant question. We had a client where we were doing this family meeting with his other advisors. And I interrupted the meeting and I said, let me just ask you this question. Do you want your kids to be financially responsible for their mother? And he had to stop the meeting because he didn't know the answer to that question. And you know, at, there's moments like that where through the power of questions, you, you can feel how you're guiding people toward their own conclusion. Right? And that, that like lights me up when I see that happen. You know? But sometimes I feel like I'm like a freaking pinball, like bing, 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 pinging all over the place, you know? Yes. Well, so can I interrupt you? Yes. Because there's, there are questions in here yeah. that you don't have to answer right now, but that you could hold on to as you go, as you yeah. make sense of you, you know, as you make sense of your sense making, which is pretty meta, but <laughs> whatever, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> reflecting on my reflection, yeah. I reflected that, you know, and yeah. so, but, you know, one really quick question is um, what's your like hidden if then statement because it'll tell you what you're preventing from happening so the crossfit example would be if i stand up and say i'm great i just finished that thing it felt so good i'm great you know yeah. i did it then what what would people think of you? What would right. the perception of you be, right? Because you deciding not to say that, to say something else, demonstrates to you that you are managing right a perception right. there. Right, yeah. And so you've got energy in managing that perception that mm -hmm. somehow is distasteful to you or that you, somehow you want to disown mm -hmm. um, the, your, your imagined you know, thing. So if I do this, then this will be true of me or other people will think this is true of me. That's one way to get at that question. The other way to get at that question is, you know, if I am misunderstood, then I will experience what? Mm. Um, if people don't really understand me, what does that mean? What do I decide that that means? Um, because you're spending a lot of energy then trying to get people to understand you. And what is lost? What gets lost 
when so much energy is spent, you know, efforting at the thing you want people to know, right? So I'm, I'm, I spend a lot of energy, you know, in becoming interesting and becoming a contribution and becoming something insightful, right? It's my superpower, but it's also my shadow motivation is that I want to be insightful. I want to be the insightful one. And so, you know, what do I lose when I'm the one seeking to be understood? You named it. Well, I don't seek to understand. Okay. Huge. You know, that's a way to flip it. So like if a listener were to say, you know, I am always seeking to be helping others. I don't ever want to be seen as unhelpful. Um, Okay. Well, what do you miss out on? Because a lot of people like that, which spoiler alert, that's like Enneagram 2 (laughs) territory. They are not very good at receiving help. Mm. They are hard to help. And in that, like in the seeking to help, they are seeking to be loved for their help. But the bad news is, is they don't get to receive love. Like they don't get to be loved by being helped because they're so busy helping and loving others. And the shadow side of that is they get resentful. Nobody helps me. Nobody loves me. I'm always helping everybody. I'm always loving everybody. And that's not immature. That's basic, like primal stuff. You know, that's sin conversation. That's, you know, egocentrism. That's, I have more to contribute than people have to contribute to me. And it's different for everybody and different for all these types. But mm. those are a couple of questions, a couple of flips yeah, those are, that people can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that I am in the business of doing every day <laughs> for myself. What yeah. do I miss out on when I'm the insightful one? Yeah. Um, How do you make sure and, you are being filled? Because you're, you're like, you know, pouring into a lot of yeah. people every yeah. day. Yeah. What do you, how do you make sure that you're also being poured into? I know the shape of my tank and I know the only thing that will fill that tank. And that's my creator. That's my first one. My second one is I am an ordinary human being. I am just a chick trying to run my show and, you know, love my family and be a, you know, a member of my community and all those things. And that's the harder part. part. You know, that's, going to counseling with my husband as often as we can. We've done that. We've been married for 12 years. We go to counseling all the time. We have an awesome psychologist. She knows all our shit. She knows all our patterns and themes. And so do we. Mm. So we can laugh about that with her. She can speak truth to us. And we can use her language together to make sure um, that we're doing that. Trying to believe in each other. Trying to support each other. You know what the word believe means? Give it to me. Give it to me. To love. Hmm. It's the uh, one of my mentors shared that with me. He wrote a book, another book, great book. It was a super massively positive book in my life in 2011. Aspire, discover your life's purpose through the power of words by a guy named Kevin Hall. He shared with me, actually, he was on the show in September last year. And this is where he taught that the meaning of the word believe. The word leave, it's a German rooted word, and leave means love in German. So to awesome. leave, to, yeah, totally. To Eat believe means to to love. So when you believe yeah. in yourself, you're loving yourself, and when you believe in someone else, you are loving them. Speaking yeah. of loving others, you are an amazing human being. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. This, Thank you for loving me for yeah. this, you know, hour and a half. You know, it's um, been um, honestly like a pure joy, and I, I want like I, to 
to continue this conversation and our our friendship because I think it's like this is you're up to some really special things. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy to join you. And I'm really I'm special. just uh, I'm going to put this invitation out there right now that okay. uh, I don't know I don't have a date yet, but I am okay. going to be doing a live event. Oh, very cool. And I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know okay. it's going to happen. Okay. 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 I know uh, that we're going to open up with some dancers to the song Come Alive from The Greatest Showman on Earth. Wow. Very cool. And I want you to speak at that. Oh, event. wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I would love yeah. it. I would love it. Um, that would be a huge privilege. I would love to. It's going to be called the, okay. the event. It's going to be called... Claim your purpose live. Wow, awesome! I love live events. I don't know. I don't have a date yet. Wow, but, fantastic! Uh, you're you're definitely going to be one of the speakers. Wow, for sure. very cool. Thank um, you. You're very welcome. I have a handful of questions that I ask of every single guest as we wrap up, and I'm probably going to split this episode into two. I'm going to skip something because we'll link to all of the places where people can connect with you in the show notes. Great. Yeah. I have two live events coming up and I have oh, you do? podcasts okay. and okay. a couple so, different things. So yeah. So we'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Okay. I'll email Great. you after the fact and Great. we'll get all yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The first question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our potential? And you can be shorter as long as you want in your answer. Something around what I'm doing doesn't matter. Mm. Whether it's washing the windows or whether it's the career that I'm in, thinking through what are all the layers of impact that this work has influenced on. Mm. Mm. So what I do doesn't matter. What I'm doing doesn't matter. That's a lie. I love it. This one I am, you know, not often sitting in, but that many of the people that I love and work with are often sitting in the in the lie of I'm not worthy of the love that I want. Um, both from, you know, the love that I want is not possible. And that goes from core belonging as the creation, um, you know, of an ultimate, you know, creator, all the way to, you know, the kind of partnership that I want in a life partner is not open to me or is not possible for me. Um, the kind of love I want at work the kind of love I want in relationships and the kind of love I want universally is not possible for me or I'm not worthy of it. Hmm. Be a, a deep lie that controls decisions. It limits thinking and imagination. And, and I'll display my Enneagram type on this one and say, it is a lie to say that you can't make everything enjoyable or fun. I have a deep belief um, that I think I sort of represent this part of creation. And that is that uh, us working hard um, can coexist with us having fun and us experiencing enjoyment. And so, you know, podcasts don't usually bring out that witty, you know, laughter side of me, but, um, but it's a really strong side of me. And as I mature in my career, I'm learning more and more to integrate that and to be um, less fearful of letting my love of fun and enjoyment, my representation of it, show up in the middle of my very rigorous and hard work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. 
huge thank you and shout out to Kara Miller. She is an incredibly talented person, generous person. We had only booked an hour for our conversation, but it went two hours long because it was rich and impactful and meaningful. And I hope you took a lot away from both of the conversations. And unfortunately, we did not get to the last question of how you how will you measure your life because she had to take off for a competition that her daughter was involved in, which I think answers that question anyway. So thanks again for listening. And if you are interested in bringing more of this kind of inquiry to your organization or life, check out what Kara has to offer at inquiryp.com. That is I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y-P.com. And definitely follow her on Instagram at development coach. We will link to all of this in the show notes. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.